This morning, as we're examining the different key figures in the nativity story, the Christmas story, here this morning we look at the life of Joseph. See Joseph's account in Matthew, Joseph's account in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Matthew writes, Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. His mother Mary had been betrothed, been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. And as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is God's word. Let's pray for God's blessing upon it. Lord Jesus, we do ask for you to send your Holy Spirit to guide your word here this morning, that you encourage us by it, or that we would live differently and purposefully as we go out from here. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as it's the time, the time of year when there's Christmas parties and various things, one of the things that I do not like is I, I really do not like white elephant gift exchanges. With one exception, that is if I've got a really good present to put in the white elephant gift exchange. So a couple years ago, we had a staff Christmas party, and I decided, hey, I've got a great present. We're going to do a white elephant gift exchange. And my initial thought on this was to do a, a live Maine lobster and to stick a live Maine lobster in a box. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. That's kind of funny. You open up the box. There's this lobster, you know, waving its, waving its claws, claws around. And if someone gave me a lobster, I'd be pretty excited about that. So I was like, that would work out pretty well. So a couple hours before we were going to have the party, you know, needed to go out and get the Maine lobster, only to find out that they don't sell live Maine lobsters here in Southern Maryland, right? So I'm like two hours out from Christmas party. Actually, Holly's two hours out. And she's like, well, what do I do? And I said, I don't know, just get something living. Just get something alive. And so she comes back with a gerbil. Okay? So we get a gerbil, and so I'm like, okay, well, this will work, this will work. So I get the biggest cookie tin that we have and take the gerbil out of the box and just stick the gerbil straight up in the cookie tin, no nothing else, just gerbil in a cookie tin with a, gerbil in a cookie tin with a bow on top of it. And so we go around to do the exchange, and our, and our secretary at the time uh, goes over and she picks up the giant cookie tin, right? And she looks at the thing and she opens up the cookie tin and the gerbil is just like frozen like a statue on its hind legs, right? And so it's just frozen right there. So she grabs the cookie tin and she's like, what is it? Right? And sticks her whole face in the cookie tin. And of course, the gerbil jumps and, jumps and scurries. She screams. She freaks out. Great response. Exactly what I was going for in the midst of this, right? Now, the goal of the night after this point was to walk out of the house, what? Without the gerbil, Right? Nobody wanted, the ger- nobody wanted to go, go home with the gerbil. So as the night went on, we fin- finished exchanging the various presents and what have you. And, uh, and uh, Kristen says, hey, you know what? I'll get, park- I'll, I'll, I'll get a gerbil for my family. Not a big deal. She said, I need to go home. If you can just hold it for a day or two, I'll come back and pick the thing up tomorrow. I'm like, okay, fine. So we've got the gerbil. 
And then it gets heard in our neighborhood that we've got a gerbil. And someone's like, well, I've got a gerbil cage. Let me come over and bring the thing. And, they, and without asking, they drop off this giant gerbil contraption into, into, our, into our front yard. And I'm like, well, that's fine. Uh, Kristen doesn't need to go buy a cage. Here's her cage. Well, she calls me about a week later, and she says, you know what? I don't want the gerbil. I'm like, and I'm past the window of being able to return the gerbil to the pet store at this point. So I'm thinking, how on earth do I get rid of this thing? I mean, how do, how do we not have the gerbil? How do I get out of this situation? Well, my mother-in-law comes down. And my mother-in-law comes down for the weekend, and Holly's got a, a sister, who, a young, much younger sister, who was a high schooler at the time, and somehow convinced my mother-in-law that this would be a good thing for Holly's sister to have the gerbil. So she's like, well, I'll take the gerbil. She's not an animal person. All right? So she takes the gerbil, sticks the thing in the back of the car with the crate, and the, and the cage wasn't very well put together, and she's driving, and the cage flips over in the back of the car. Right? Well, she starts freaking out as she's driving because she's terrified that as she's driving, all of a sudden, said gerbil with, you know, with fangs is going to like come over the back of the seat and like and like attack her, attack her while she's driving. As it turned out, the gerbil ended up staying in the cage. They brought it home, and then my sister-in-law was ended up taking care of the thing. Loved the little gerbil. A couple weeks later, the gerbil wasn't eating its food. And so like, there she's freaking out about this. Somehow she convinced her parents to take the gerbil to the vet and found out that the gerbil got a cracked tooth and couldn't eat because of his infected tooth. So $60 later in some anti antibiotics, they are feeding this gerbil with a dropper uh, in order to, <laughs> a dro dropper of antibiotics in, in order to preserve this thing. And my thought throughout this whole thing is that I was like, wow, this is my mother-in-law. I couldn't think of anyone more perfect for this to occur to than my mother-in-law. This is just, this is just getting better and better, right? But throughout the entire process, the number one thought in my mind is, how do I get out of this situation, right? How do, I, how do I get rid of this stupid thing? I mean, the goal at the end of the night was to get not be stuck with a gerbil. Not only am I stuck with a gerbil, but a week later, I still got the gerbil. How do I get rid of this thing, right? Finally did, and I, I finally got rid of it. But so it is in so many situations in our lives where we are faced with unexpected situations, let me even go further and say undesirable situations. Maybe they're not unexpected and not surprising situations, but situations that you have known about for a long time, maybe even your whole life because it's your family. And everything about your family is dysfunctional. Everything about it is not the way that it's supposed to be. It's not the way that it's supposed to be. And at, at times, particularly this time of year, when you're looking to get together with family, your thought is, how do I, how do I survive this situation? How do I get out of this situation? What, what can I do? What can I do to make this situation go away so that I can escape and not have to deal with all the things that are going on and all the implications of this? Well, when that happens, that is when God puts us in unexpected and even undesired situations, the Word of God is clear that God has a purpose for you in those situations. And not just a generalized purpose. But the first thing that we see here in the life of Joseph, it's not just the general universal purpose, but for you, he has a distinct purpose for you. You see, Joseph probably thought that his life was pretty well planned out at this point. He was getting married. He had his job and his vocation and his career lined up for what he was going to be doing and how he's going to be spending the rest of his life. Probably also meant that he started to have a, have a home and a place that he was going to take his new wife and his new family. And all of a sudden, his world comes crashing down when he finds out that his fiancée is, is pregnant. 
and he is thrust into this middle, in the middle of this unexpected and undesirable situation. And after considering it and thinking through it, Joseph's first reaction to the situation is, I need to escape. I need to, how do I get out of here? How to get me out of here? This doesn't make sense what's going on. Okay, Mary didn't say that she was raped, and it's really hard to believe the story that she's telling me. And maybe Mary's story actually really is true, that God came, an angel came and spoke to her and said that God was going to use her in the plan of his eternal salvation. And maybe that really is part of Mary's story, but obviously God has a different plan for her than he has for me. Because he hasn't made this clear to me. He hasn't, he hasn't told this to me. And then all of a sudden, the angel comes to him and says to him, Joseph, take Mary as your wife. Not only take her as your wife, but that means that you're going to raise this baby as your child. You know what I think we would say? Why me? Why do I have to deal with this? I mean, this is not how life is supposed to go. I've got a good job. I've got a good wife. This is not how I thought my life was going to play out. Well, in the unexpected and in the undesirable mess, that certainly wasn't a part of Joseph's plan. Yet, it absolutely was a part of God's plan. Moreover, God had a distinct purpose for Joseph, a distinct role for Joseph to play in this narrative. The Gospel of Matthew begins with this genealogy describing the lineage of King David. And it goes like this. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Notice the first point that's emphasized. Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And then it goes on with the father of the father of the father of. We get to verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. What is Matthew emphasizing? He's emphasizing that Jesus is in the lineage of King David. And when the angel speaks to Joseph, he says this. Stay with me as we're tracking this. He says, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. That Matthew is emphasizing, and these are emphasizing to Joseph, that Joseph is in the lineage of King David. Why does that matter? Because Joseph, when he takes Mary as his wife and adopts Jesus as his son, and because he does those two things, therefore, Jesus is of the lineage of King David. Why? Because Joseph is of David. You see the distinct purpose that God has for Joseph. Continue to think on this. God has a distinct purpose for Joseph to marry Mary, to adopt Jesus, because through Joseph, now Jesus is of the lineage of King David, according to Matthew. Let's, let's focus on this a little bit more, the weight of what's going on here. There had been a promise given some 1,040-some-odd years before this angelic visit to David. A promise given, given to King David that had actually expanded a promise some 500 years, some, actually some 800 years before that was given to Abraham. And God had given a promise to Abraham that through him, 
God would bless all the families of the earth. And God would give Abraham a name, and his name would be great. He would give him an inheritance, and that all the families of the earth would be, ble- would be blessed through him. Then, some several hundred years later, a thousand years before the birth of Jesus, God comes to King David, and he says to David, this promise to Abraham that all the families of the earth are going to be redeemed, that all the families of the earth are going to come back to know who God is, all of this is going to happen through David. And this promise is expanded to say to King David, and through you, there will be someone who sits on the throne, on your throne, for all eternity. That through you, King David, all of the hope of the nations will be fulfilled in one of your descendants. Indeed, even 700 years before the birth of Christ, roughly 400 years after the promise to David, Isaiah declares this famous Christmas passage, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, and the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this, that this is the promise given to Abraham, expanded through David, continuing to be foretold. This is the promise that brings salvation and forgiveness for you and for me, so that we would be rescued and redeemed from our sins, from our brokenness, that we would be forgiven and given life eternal and life abundant. This is the promise. And here, at this moment in the life of Mary and Joseph, the weight of the Davidic prophecy that there would be a king on the throne eternal, the one who would be the hope of the ages, the redeemer of Israel, the one about whom we sing so many Christmas songs, come thou long-expected Jesus, who for in Handel's Messiah, you know, the choir sings, King of kings and Lord of lords, the one to whom we sing the songs, joy to the world, all these different Christmas songs, All of this, the weight of all of this, this prophecy, this fulfillment, the weight of this plan of God's God's plan of salvation to the ends of the earth, all of this is made true through Joseph, husband of Mary, adopted father of Jesus. What a distinct purpose God had for Joseph. You see, Who God had made Joseph to be was not secondary to his purpose in the world, but was rather central to it. Who God had made Joseph to be in the midst of the unexpected and undesired circumstance that Joseph faced was not secondary to that situation, but was critical and pivotal in the midst of that situation. Let me just give a brief aside. You know, there is sometimes this false perception that if a false perception that if, if you're adopted in America or wherever, that if you're adopted, there's this false perception that your adopted parents aren't your real parents. That they're not really your parents. That an adopted child isn't really your child. And it's completely false. Because as we see here in this passage, the, <clears throat> the Davidic promise fulfilled, the Davidic promise, the hope of the ages, is fulfilled... How? 
through Joseph's adoption of Jesus. And that is how the messianic promise comes to be according to Matthew. Secondly, Joseph now becomes a model of caring for someone, loving someone, even fathering someone who's not your biological child. He becomes the model of loving and caring for someone who maybe is not your child, who's maybe that this is not the family that you wanted, maybe with children and stepchildren and, and other things that have happened or that you just don't like the people who are your family members. Joseph becomes the model of a person who's in an undes- un- unexpected and undesired, an undesired situation. And these particulars, these particulars are just an example of how in this unexpected and undesirable situation, they're just the particulars of how God had a distinct purpose for Joseph. And he has a distinct purpose for you, a purpose distinctly for you. It is no accident that God has you where he has you right now. It is not some mistake that the situations that you face in your life are the situations that you face. You know, we may never understand what God is doing this side of heaven, but the Word of God is clear that He has a distinct purpose for you. Let's just stay for a minute in the realm of unexpected and undesired family situations. You know, maybe that you're like many people, and you didn't envision that your family situation would be your situation. And there is not a small part of you that resurface, that resurfaces at inconvenient times. A part of you that is jealous that your family isn't like someone else's family. That your family situation isn't different than what it is. And so you, you try to love your family. You, you want to love your family. At least you know that you should love your family. But there's this part of you that resents the struggle and resents the challenges and resents the dysfunctions, dysfunction, and you resent the lack of being what you think a family should be. But take a look at Joseph and be encouraged that God has a distinct purpose for you there. No, you are not the bearer of the messianic lineage for the salvation of the world. But the events of your life are not accidental, and they're not haphazard, but they all come together, and they continue to come together for the distinct purpose that God has for you. Well, what is that distinct purpose, that, that, distinct, that distinct purpose for you specifically? I, I don't know. We'll see some aspects of that in our next two, next two points. But let me just be clear, that if God wanted someone else there, he would have put somebody else there. But the reality is, is that he has made you and shaped you and formed you and placed you where he has you. Why? Because God has a distinct purpose for you in, those, in that situation. God has a distinct purpose. Second thing we see from the life of Joseph is not only is it a distinct purpose that God has for you, but he has, secondly, a righteous purpose. Matthew chapter 1 describes Joseph this way. It says that Joseph being a just man, that he was a righteous man. He was also a compassionate man, that he was unwilling to put her to shame, even though he could have. And then later the text tells us that Joseph was a man of integrity, 
that when Joseph woke from his sleep after the angel spoke to him, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and so she called his name Jesus. You see, God had a righteous purpose for Joseph. Joseph was a man of integrity and self-control, someone who did what God commanded, that he was a man of integrity who wanted to do the right things and to do them in the right way. He was someone who lived in accord with God's word, trusting God's word. What did Mary most need in this situation? What did baby Jesus most need, humanly speaking, in this situation? What they most needed was a righteous man. And Jesus needed a righteous father. And God had purpose for Joseph to live and to act righteously, to be a man of character and integrity in the midst of this situation, to be the father of the one who would be the savior of the world. How we respond in times of crisis, how we respond in unexpected and undesired situations reveals our true nature. Is that when things are going smoothly, we are able to hide a whole lot about the struggles in our lives. We're able to hide a whole lot of things. But when challenges come, in the midst of conflict and crisis and unexpected and undesired mess, our character becomes clear. And the strength of our convictions is shown. And our true nature is revealed. And God specifically puts us in unexpected and undesirable situations. Why? So that righteousness would be brought to the mess of the situation through you. That God has a righteous purpose for you to live for him in these situations. Too many times I have heard Christians say in the midst of really bad situations, and they say things like this, well, in a situation as blankety-blank-blank-blank messed up as this, in a situation as bad as this, well, then you've just got to, and they usually fill in the blank with some overt sin, some overt act of selfishness, some overt act of godliness. In a situation as messed up as this, you, so sometimes you just, you just got to do this. No. No. That the bigger the mess, the more God's righteous purpose for you in that situation needs to be fulfilled and needs to be seen. Let's focus again on our families. What does your families and the struggles and challenges within your family and your extended family, what do they need to see? They need God's righteous purpose for you to be lived out. That in the midst of dysfunction, in the midst of sin and overt sin and manipulation and backstabbing that often goes on in our families, especially at Christmas time, what is needed in that situation? God-honoring conduct. Is it not? Someone that acts with grace and forgiveness. Someone that overlooks minor offenses. Someone that's, that's willing at the right and appropriate time to lovingly come alongside people and challenge things that are wrong. For someone to not get stuck in the muck and mire of he said, she said, and of shooting darts and arrows back, back and forth at each other, what's needed in that situation 
is a righteous man or a righteous woman or a righteous child to live out God's righteous purpose that he has for you in that mess of a situation. He's got a distinct purpose for you. He's got a righteous purpose for you. And finally, he also has a loving purpose for you as well. Consider Joseph's challenge in this situation. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Consider his challenge. Consider the things that he was considering. Here's Mary. She's pregnant. He knows that, she's, that he is not the father. At a time and a place in the culture where a fiancé's unfaithfulness would only publicly point to Joseph's own inadequacy. Brought shame on him and shame on his entire family. Now consider what happens if Joseph goes forward and marries Mary as he's wrestling through this. I mean, Jewish law said that there were to be no relations between a man and a woman until they got married. But here is Joseph, the one who was known as a righteous kid, the one who was known as a just and good man. Here the good kid got her pregnant, and he risked being questioned about her pregnancy and his place in the community and place in society. And this is not just hypothetical, for it does seem that Joseph's scandal... Jesus' scandal, Mary's scandal, that it was known and was publicly known. Because in in John chapter 8, in one passage where Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees and he's debating with them about who the true children of Abraham are, the Pharisees and the religious leaders respond to Jesus and they say to him, and Jesus says, you're not of Abraham, and they respond to him, wait, we're not illegitimate children. We were not born of sexual immorality. And most scholars actually believe that the the religious leaders were referring to the scandal around Jesus' birth as a retort against him, something that was known. And so Joseph is considering these things. And consider how if Joseph, what was going through him, for him to act rightly, and even what would be understood as acting righteously. Jewish, Greek, and Roman law all demanded that a man divorce his wife or break off an engagement if she was unfaithful. And so Joseph, in the midst of this, considers that he's going to divorce her quietly. Not publicly, not to make a big stink about it, but he's going to divorce her quietly. What's the implication of that? That by doing so, Joseph would have been regarded as a man of character. He would have been viewed as someone who did the right thing, even possibly viewed as a little bit more noble because he didn't quietly and he didn't put her to disgrace. For Joseph, by doing so, his reputation would have been preserved. And among some, he would have been respected for the way he handled it. And the text does not give any indication that if Joseph had gone this course, this, gone this course of action for quietly divorcing her, that Joseph would have been wrong for doing so. It doesn't indicate that that would have been wrong, but actually could have been a right response. Another aspect of it is that if Joseph did divorce her, it would have been profitable for him. Because when someone was unfaithful, he could have impounded her dowry, that is, all the assets she would have brought into the marriage, and he could have perhaps recouped, recouped his bridal, the bridal price that he would have paid. And so by quietly divorcing her, Joseph would have done something that clearly qualified him as a good, as a good person. 
But in the midst of this unexpected and undesired situation, Joseph's desire was to escape the situation and not only to escape it, but he could have done so and have been viewed and esteemed as right and noble for what he did. But you see, God's purpose for Joseph in this situation was not for Joseph to escape, nor simply for Joseph just to act rightly. Nor was God's purpose here for Joseph's reputation to be vindicated so that everyone knew, so that Joseph knew, that everyone else knew that it wasn't his fault. That wasn't God's purpose for him. And the purpose that he had for him, yes, it would have been messy. Yes, it would have been regarded as offensive. And yes, it would have not infrequently called his righteousness into question by people in society for what he would have done. Indeed, even as one writer puts it this way, why would the gospel story begin on such a scandalous note? Joseph, Matthew says pointedly, was a righteous man. And Joseph found what was happening offensive. But Joseph was overcome by a divine intervention, and he made a new decision, the decision to marry Mary. Joseph now dared to go this initially embarrassing and lonely route of marrying a pregnant fiancé. And from the instant that Jesus appeared on the world scene, even at his conception, he caused righteous people to rethink what was righteous. He caused righteous people like Joseph to rethink what was righteous because God's righteousness was far higher and God's purpose was something far greater and far more difficult than simply acting rightly in the situation. God's purpose was that Joseph would act lovingly. That Joseph would intentionally love. That he would go beyond right personal conduct to go into intentionally loving Mary. To take her as his wife to adopt the baby, to name him Jesus, not Joseph, and to raise him as his own son. And so for Joseph to fulfill God's loving purpose, Joseph would have to forego protecting his reputation. He would have to forego personal vindication. And he would ensure that there would be suspicion and quite likely slander for the rest of his life. How much we want to act like Joseph, do we not, in undesirable situation? How much we want to escape the situation and be viewed as right and good for doing so, do we not? Hey, look at me. I am out of the situation. I don't have to deal with it. And everybody's going to respect me because how rightly I acted in the, how rightly I acted in the midst of this situation. In fact, you know what? I want everyone should know that it's just very clear that the problem is not with me, but the problem is with the other person. In fact, I should be respected and appreciated for how I've handled this situation. But you see, God has a loving purpose for you. A purpose that is greater than the preservation of your reputation. A purpose that is bigger than you being viewed as right, something that is far greater and far more difficult, is God's purpose is that you would act with his love. You see, Joseph could have escaped the situation and been viewed as fully right for doing so. 
But God called him with a loving purpose to intentionally love, to not escape the unexpected and undesired, but to intentionally love, which, yes, is messy. Yes, which would bring his reputation into question, but which also, in no small way, is vaguely similar and follows the path of one who purposefully and intentionally loved you, who plunged himself into sin and shame so that you could be restored and redeemed and forgiven, so that you would not be put to shame, but so that your head could be lifted up. The one for whom he was not afraid to identify with you, which meant by doing so that he would be crucified on the cross as a criminal, as an outcast, and a sinner, so that you could be forgiven, restored, and redeemed. And now God has a righteous purpose for you that you would show, or a loving purpose for you, that you would show the love that has been shown to you. Yes, for you particular, God has a distinct purpose. Yes, for you, he has a righteous purpose. But moreover, he has a loving purpose. Over the next couple weeks, many of you are considering how you are going to survive and endure various family interactions. And let Joseph be an encouragement to you. Let him be an encouragement to you that God has a purpose for you, a purpose, a distinct purpose, a righteous purpose, and a loving purpose. In the unexpected and undesired situations many of us are facing or many of us will face, let us not try to escape God's purpose, but rather... Let us fulfill it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, there are many of us here who are here with anxiety and worry. Lord Father, there are many of us here who have had um, already this past week tense conversations with relatives, with parents, with children about what the ensuing days are going to look like. Father, there are many of us here with deep longings for reconciliation and restoration in the brokenness in our homes and families. But Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you have a distinct purpose for us. Thank you that it is no accident that we are in the situations that we are in, that we are not just simply a victim of our circumstances there to get by, but rather, Lord, you have put us in messy situations to show your righteousness, And moreover, to intentionally love. Lord, may we do that. Father, this Christmas, may it be a different Christmas because you are seen in us. That in the brokenness in our families, that you are seen bringing healing and restoration. And Father, may we look to you as our source of joy and hope. Lord, may we rely not on a love that is self-generated within us, but may we rely on the love that you have given to us through Jesus Christ. And because we are so enraptured and enthralled by the love that you have showered upon us, Lord, would that free us, Lord, even delight us to love in difficult situations. For the honor of your name, we pray, amen.